We're live. We're live. Gentlemen, it is it is happening. You, you know what, Adam? While we're waiting for everyone to populate the room, can you show off some of your Lego toys behind you? Yes. Which, which of those is your favorite? I see like at least 20 different Lego models there. So favorite, I definitely like the, the Falcon the most. Can, can you uh, pick it up and bring it over? Oh, yeah. So so I'm not going to no. pick it up because that <laughs> might create a huge disaster. By the way, I, I moved from the city to New Jersey a month ago, and I literally moved my Legos one by one because I no one wanted to take them for me and help me with that. And so most of them broke a little bit. And of course, the last mile, my daughter, who is one, broke most of them while we were here already. Um, but let me show you some cool things. Okay. That gives you a project to rebuild. I guess that them, means though. the higher it is up on the, on the shelf. The shelf is the more important because he yeah. went right for the top yeah. shelf. I feel like, um, like a play by play guy here, He's the master builder, here, the Lego here, builder. Here yeah, comes so the too. orange Porsche. Yeah. A GT3 RS, very special edition, um, orange. Wait, can we see the engine? Of course. That's a great <laughs> question. Jesus. And also, <laughs> And you can see my there isn't a uh, oh no, that's the luggage compartment. Exactly. Yeah, thank God we're not doing this live because if we did it live, Rich has been known to just destroy things in people's offices oh, by accident. <laughs> Only like this the former secretary of, of yeah. commerce, but whatever, leave it aside. Treasure. Rich, just you know, Treasure, after I talked whatever. to you last time, Rich, I was so jealous of your uh, setup at home that I now have the mic, I have lights, so I'm I'm not as good as you are. You know, I'll never be, by the way, but I'm really have good inspiration. Um, <laughs> uh, so, Adam, we're really excited to have you. There's been big news in Taboola land over the course of the last month that you're going to be a public company in Q2. Uh, you're going public through a SPAC. Uh, we'll get to that later. But I, I, I think, you know, I've known you for a long time and I've sort of seen Taboola grow from little business to very big business. And it's sort of been amazing to see sort of the space evolve. I think you've been part of some of the conferences that we've done way back when, like we've really seen this business blossom, but you know, you gave a quote the other day that I want to just start to start off with. So the quote that you said was over the next 10 years, I see Taboola growing to power recommendations for anything, e-commerce games, applications. I see those recommendations everywhere on every device that live on our connected TVs at home recommending shows people love as well as in people's cars, surfacing content they love, podcasts, and text to audio from the open web. That's a pretty bold vision statement for Taboola versus even where you are right now. So maybe just spend a couple of minutes and just kind of say like, okay, how do you get from where you are now? Maybe it's just explain exactly where you are now to sort of how you evolve into the the vision that you kind of that vision statement that you laid out. Yeah. And, and thanks for having me. I'm a, obviously a big fan. I, I think, you know, the reason I started Taboola back 13 plus years ago was because I couldn't find anything to watch on TV. And I thought I should not be looking for TV shows. TV shows should be looking for me. And I think, you know, it stems from that moment when, you know, I thought the future would be exactly the opposite of search engines. You know, Google's, Google specifically and search engines changed humanity because they organize information so that if you know what you want, you can find it. And it saves you a lot of time. But we only have 24 hours a day. That will never change. With all the technology in the world, that is constant. So I think that as I look into the future, I think it's going to be the opposite of what search engines did to us in the past. And that is that we will make some of the most important decisions of our lives, where to go, what to buy, what to read, what should I know, 
using suggestions made by recommendation engine. Now, I think today we're used to see those recommendations online in a browser, but I don't think we're, that's where it's going to end. So, so fundamentally, I think even looking at companies like Apple, if you look at their last earning call, services under EdQ is pretty doing pretty well. And one of the things that they're doing is they're putting news on one of the most successful devices in the world, iPhone. And why do they do it? And I think they're doing it because um, they see that it drives engagement. It increases happiness for consumers with devices. It, 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 there's some good juju that, that happens when news are integrated in a personalized ways outside of a browser. So to me, that's the proxy. And I, I still think that on my connected TV, I open you know, HBO Max. I saw Wonder Woman. What should I watch next? Um, in my car, I have Spotify integration. Do you, do you see the shirt? Yes. You see, I didn't even see it. That's pretty targeted. Um, my car has Spotify. I don't have Squawk Box. Why is that? Why don't I have news from the, from the web locally, nationally? So to me, there's a big gap. Um, so I'm optimistic about news. I'm optimistic about recommendation engines. And we are currently in our, in our, in our journey. We're over $1 billion in revenue, uh, primarily focused on news websites. So primarily right now, we brought the product that you used to see from Instagram, this feed of recommendations that are great for creators, great for advertisers, great for users to the open web. And in the future, I want to expand that, but go even further out. Can you talk a little bit about what your business model is and how you work with publishers? Yeah, so we, we do see ourselves as you know the champion of the open web. We're, I believe, very special in the fact that we are approached to market is we work with publishers um, in three ways. We, we help them drive new audiences to come to their website. We help them engage consumers once they're on the website. Um, we do not charge for that service. So as an example, when you go to CNBC, you might see more from CNBC. We all love CNBC, so we like to be engaged with stuff that they write and create on the site. We do that for CNBC powered by our AI at no cost and that engages consumers. Uh, we empower editorial teams to know what content they should write and what the readers are reading on the Tabula network. And all of that, um, you know, SaaS-like software, it's like a Shopify for advertising. We give a lot of infrastructure for publishers to just drive growth for audience and engagement. And on top of that, all of that is at no cost. On top of that- Wait, we Maybe, you know, hold on, just explain that. Like I give people an actual example of like, it could be theoretical, hypothetical, but like give them an example of how your data is given back to the publisher and then how they actually put that into use before they even get to the paid side of what you right. do. So, so- What it looks like if we're, if we're on a content site. So if you go to cnbc.com and you read any article, at the very bottom of the article, a feed of- Awesome recommendations will begin. It will start by saying more from CNBC powered by Tabula. And in that scenario, we're trying to predict which article or video you might be interested in at a particular moment. It could be something from this, just this, this morning that Andrew spoke about. It could be an article that Scott wrote. It could be anything from CNBC that people in your region, people in your, whatever we, Tabula believes. And, and, and why can't C, well, why does CNBC need you? Because I think it's not obvious to all of our listeners and watchers right here. Why do they need you to do that? Why can't CNBC and NBC with all of their data and analytics, why do they need a third party to come in and help them with that? Like what is the, the AI tech that you're bringing into the equation? I think we, you know, we work together on what's the editorial experience CMC expects us to create. But then in terms of us bringing data from the entire open web, we reach more than half a billion daily active users 
in the open web every single day. Um, that helps us to have an opinion about people in the open web, in your neighborhood, what they might like. That's value proposition to CNBC to capture so that they can you know, drive growth to their users. We also were one of the top AI um, and engineers in Israel for people to work for. So that's great in terms of talent. So from investing, we, we invest $100 million in R&D a year, right? So in terms of our investment in R&D and data that we have access to, that's value proposition. And we work with our publisher partners to design a product that they need and want. As an example, they might want the recommendations to drive subscriptions. So we develop things like that for them. They might want our recommendations to drive time on the site. So we make sure that we drive to pieces of content that increase time. So we work with our publisher partners to design the experience they want. And then we put a lot of resources to and using our data to make sure we do a good job at no cost. So we increase the pie. Just to understand, about half the clicks on Tabula globally, people click on Tabula tens of billions of times a year. About half of them are what we call organic. Keep people on the site, which just make the... You know, CNBC, meaning just to be clear, CNBC to CNBC or CNBC into the NBC family versus CNBC out to uh, whatever website above and beyond. Right. MSN to MSN, CNBC to CNBC, the independent to the independent, Sunkey Japan to Sunkey Japan, and so forth. And and that's about half our business. And if if CNBC doesn't want to drive people to Robinhood, can they prevent a a link from going to Robinhood? There's a very sophisticated editorial platform that sits on top of all of the world's recommendations that goes way way beyond just filtering a keyword or something like that. They can can decide to promote certain verticals, to demote certain things. They can say, we only want recommendations from the past 12 hours, 24 hours, one week in that section. So it's a very advanced um, TV-like system to allow them to configure what should be recommended and when, and then we execute on, the, on their goals. So the, um, Brandon, to your question, we, we invest a lot of our R&D to empower the entire publisher organization at no cost. And the reason we do it is because we do believe the open web and publishers, as they fight Google, Facebook, Amazon, they need a company that brings the, the, the scale of the data we have, they bring a lot of AI and access to advertisers. So, so that's our go-to-market strategy and why we exist. And then we, to advertisers, um, we give an opportunity to reach a lot of people side-by-side to editorial content. You know, nobody gets fired from being on CNBC, while perhaps on YouTube or social networks, it's a bit more tricky. So we, we bring that channel and bridge uh, to advertisers into the open web. Well, a lot of that viewership um, is going through Apple's devices. I think they've recently announced a billion iPhones uh, globally, obviously a huge share in the US, probably another three, 400 million on iPads. Um, privacy seems to be a pretty big push for Apple. So does that have a major impact on what you're trying to accomplish? I think, you know, Apple is has started a few years ago to block third-party cookies, which basically prevents companies from doing retargeting or things that I believe uh, were annoying to Apple and perhaps their community. So that's already um, undergoing for the past few years. As of recent, um, they've announced also something called IDFA, which essentially is more spe- you know, uh, specific to native applications. Um, and, and that's something that doesn't affect us so much because our native application business is fairly um, small in comparison to the mobile uh, open web. Uh, mobile so basically, web if you're business. on an Apple device through one of their browsers, you, you feel like you're not impacted in that situation. 
well, not by IDFA, which is more specific to applications. I think, yeah, I think that the recent announcement is more catered towards app businesses. So, so what's think, the mix? What's the mix of uh, in the traffic that your that your stuff is on, in terms of apps versus um, you know via the browsers of phones or even just mobile versus desktop? It's but it's more than fifty percent by a lot mobile web. Then the apps is a smaller percent of that. It's not an insignificant portion of the business, but it's much smaller in comparison to the rest. So so for that reason, it affects companies that are more um, in the app business and specifically. It affects companies that have a network play in the in the app business. So I think that's why Mark Zuckerberg is you know very vocal about the effect of that to his business and and Facebook. Um, so I think it 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 caters more. But I to think you you mentioned the Apple News app as an example. So if I click on an Apple News link, doesn't that take me into the app in that case? And isn't that impacting it there? And I just wonder if privacy does become a bigger issue. Do people try and drive usage to apps as opposed to a browser? I, I think so. A few questions there. So one, in terms of Apple News, Apple News is driving people to Apple News. Mm-hmm. Um, I think fundamentally that is not something I support. I think that you know the, the importance of driving readers to the site itself is critical for the future of journalism. We can't live in a world where users are unaware of the experience a New York Times wants to have on their side. Well, wait, wait, hold on, because we've talked about since the beginning when you first showed me the demo of Taboola News in your office. I still remember sitting on your couch and discussing it because uh, I was really excited about sort of just the, the use case of Apple News and Google News, which I think are actually pretty similar. But, you know, what I guess I've been surprised about, Adam, is publishers don't really make any money on Apple News, yet all the publishers are there. Uh, why is everyone still there if no one's really making any money? First of all, not everybody is there. And I think as of now, people are exploring. This is exploration stage, even though, you know, data shows there's value in that. It's it's similar. It reminds me of Facebook instant article, perhaps, you know, three, four, five years ago. Um, I mean, I, I think if I was in the shoes of a publisher, I would explore and test with anyone that is a good company like Facebook and Apple. These are strong, good companies. I don't think you can... Um, just ignore initiatives that they're working on. Saying that, I don't think I would rely on my, I wouldn't put my future at the hand of a platform, right? So I would use it as, an, as a marketing vehicle. I would like to get exposure using that, but I would not put the future of my revenue in a, in a, in a platform. And I wouldn't put the future of my readership relationship on a platform. So I, I, feel, I, think like, but I feel like a lot of these sites are trying to push me to the apps. I don't know if... Um, it's an actually annoyance to me. Like if you go to ESPN or New York Post, there's this like pop-up at the top says, wouldn't you rather read this in the app? So it feels like they want to try and push my usage um, to the app. Um, so, so, so different question is, do websites want you to use the app? And the answer is absolutely if, if, if they can and if you want, right? So for bigger brands, you know, if there's an opportunity to create this further, deeper connection, whereby you download the app and it's on your phone and you use it, data does show that app users are way more engaged than, than otherwise. So it is valuable. You become a super user when you use the app versus not. So there's value in that. But traditionally, it's much harder to convert the mass into an app usage. Um, and think of it, it's almost like subscriptions. How many subscriptions will you have? Five, six, seven, ten. You're not going to have 100 subscriptions. Similar, you're probably not going to have 100 apps. 
You know, there's value in a browser. There's value in the, you know, the open web being so distributed and easy to consume. Um, but I think some publishers and some big enterprise brands were very successful in, in getting consumers to download the app. Clearly, publishers are going to be hurt by this. How does that affect your business? Because it's going, to be much, it's going to be much harder, I think, for publishers on the open web to monetize um, in the wake of Apple's changes. Does that ultimately affect you since you make money by traffic being driven from one publisher to another? I think, again, the recent change of IDFA specifically is less impactful to publishers. I think you, sh- you should ask yourself, is 80% of your business taking place in an app? If the answer is yes, you care a lot about IDFA. This is, you're spending days and nights. You you go to sleep and you're in your dream. There's an IDFA friend coming to visit you and having a conversation. If 80% of your business is not in an app, IDFA is relevant, but it's not the only thing you care about. So I think it, it IDFA is affecting a lot more other companies versus publishers in that specific upgrade, you know, update of iOS. Um, I think in general, what's more interesting is, you know, cookies and those dynamics, and that will definitely affect publishers a lot more. You know, we, we've also seen other regulatory activities. So that, that I think is relevant, but specifically to IDFA, I think it's much more relevant to um, big apps that we use versus, um, versus um, publishers. Well, you just, just mentioned good, cookies. Yeah, and, I was just going to, you hit it, Brandon. Go ahead. Yeah, I, it's a natural follow-up and then back to IDFA after. But Chrome cookies are going away. How, how does that impact you? Does that hurt you from um, the publisher revenue side, from your recommendations? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I, I don't want to give projections. I can tell you uh, looking into the past up until now, I think that's somewhat of a proxy for what happens when third-party cookies are being blocked, um, and that, such as Safari. And, and you know, we've seen GDPR, CCPA, Safari with third-party cookies. Um, so I think there's some. The past is valuable as potentially what can come in the future. Of course, no one is. You know, can, nobody has a crystal ball to know exactly what things will look like. I believe Google will. Um, you know, one. I think they're doing a good job collaborating with the industry as to what would be a good private, you know, privacy safe solution that still would allow advertising to thrive. Um, I think Google cares about advertising. So I would assume, and I don't know the answer to that, that Google will think of cookies much like Steve Jobs thought of Flash being replaced with HTML5, if you remember back in the day. Sure. You know, players, video players remained. They just evolved. So I, I would assume Google is thinking Steve Jobs in that way, right? Um, and evolving cookies into something that that sustains good advertising, but well, also- it, it already sounds like they're working on like lookalike audiences and ways exactly. of sort of exactly. It seems like Google is sort of already working on workarounds to sort of accomplish. Maybe it's not perfect, but you know, in terms of a perfect, right. the before is not as good as the after. I mean, the, sorry, the after is not as good as the before. But like, it seems like this stuff always gets worked out. Right. Do you? Th- like, is the panic over IDFA, is the panic over cookies, you know, Chrome cookies going away? Like, is it all overblown in the scheme of like, we're going to wake up in 18 months and everyone's going to go other than a momentary hiccup, like advertising world essentially is unchanged? No, I mean, I think it's 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 a, it's a worthy conversation because first of all, it addresses something we all care about, which is privacy uh, and keep, you know, keeping a good user experience. 
let me tell you what I don't think is going to happen. We're not going to wake up and seeing a beautiful internet going back in time 20 years ago to not being interesting, not being relevant, not being useful. So I don't think that's what anyone wants. I think what we want is a, is a, is a way to subsidize and thrive the open web in journalism, which is a $64 billion market. We want to see it grow in the right direction, right? So let me give an example. When I look at Instagram advertising experience, I think it's, a, I would pay a dollar a month to see Instagram ads. That's how much I think the ads are good, right? right. They're relevant. They're beautiful. I like using them. So I don't think- Have you ever bought anything from Instagram ads? Because I've tried that two or three times and it's been generally just garbage. The, the the products. Yeah. They're, they're very well targeted. I'll admit, it I'll, admit, I'll admit that it I It sucks you in and you buy it and right. you, you receive it in the mail and it's just I see, garbage. I see DJI <laughs> ads for drones. I see great stuff. I mean, for me, it's- uh, You see Millennium Falcon ads for Legos. I mean, Lego no, ads. You, no, you, you know don't. Adam gets a lot of Lego ads. I get Legos, drones. Really? That's just okay. retargeting. Well, that's not though. garbage. If you're buying legit <laughs> Lego stuff, that's fine. Kids, kids they must toys, be feeding me other stuff. A lot of toys for the kids. So, I mean, my my only, I think we just have to divide and conquer is advertising important and here to stay forever? I think big yes. We need an advertising you know, base that's strong to fund the open free internet. So I think $64 billion is gonna go up and it's gonna go up because advertising is important. And in fact, we're seeing great advertising experiences in the platforms. There's a lot to learn from Facebook, TikTok, Google, you know, Kevin Mayer's work over there and all of that stuff. So there's a lot to learn from other places. So I'm optimistic. Do I think we need a private, good feeling advertising? Yes, you know? So I think we're gonna to have to find a merge of, that, of those things. So I, I don't think we should be panicked. I think we should get involved and leaning. I guess I just, I go back to the early days of Facebook and we were very critical after Facebook went public. We looked at the ads that they were delivering and it was really, a, I mean, it was an awful experience of what they were delivering ad-wise. And as you just said, like the ad experience today is actually phenomenally good. I mean, it's, it's as close to the holy grail of ads that you want to buy where it almost becomes content. I feel like, you know, Facebook's got a ton of first party data. So does Snapchat. So does, you know, Twitter. Like these companies know a lot about you just from the amount you use their site. Um, I guess the question that kind of gets asked in the chat is like, so who gets hurt the worst by these changes? Like it's not you, obviously, because you're talking about you're not app based. Facebook and those companies have a lot of first party data. So like who gets who is brutalized the most by by these changes? And, and does that waterfall benefit companies like you? You know, is their loss your gain, Facebook's gain? Like, what are the who are the puts and takes here? So, you know, first of all, I, I don't know that Facebook doesn't care about it. I think Facebook has logged in users and consent on the blue app, but you should not assume thousands of tens of thousands of other apps using the SDK of Facebook also get consent. So I think we shouldn't, again, we have to remember what IDFA means, which is that if you have consent and you log in, fantastic. But if you want to get third-party SDK to give you the data you learned on someplace else, they need to also get it. So right. while I believe everyone will forever log into Facebook, because why not? Uh, it's unclear to me that people will do it across the entire world. So I do think Facebook cares about it. I think we're seeing Mark speaking about it, right? So, so I, I do think that is relevant for anyone that has SDKs integrated across many, many apps. So I think the IDFA again is very specific to that um, you know, type of integration, which is a native app. And I also wanna say something, you know, just uh, rooting for the open web. 
let's go back to the advertiser, someone who wants to advertise and drive growth to their business. When you advertise against a social, in a social network, I, I advertise against the demographics of who you told Facebook you are. So Rich, when you and I go to Facebook, we upload good looking pictures, you know, all the movies. You, your, your, yours are more interesting than mine. Yeah, oh, we're, we're, we're sharing all the cool movies that we want people to think we're watching, right? Like you say you like Godfather, does it mean you want to watch it now? No, but it's there, right? Because it's kind of cool to, to show they, that you like they're it. They're stuck in whatever the movies were that were popular in like 2008. Exactly. It's, <laughs> and, and, but you will, you're probably unlikely going to share on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, social networks, things that either really concern you or real personal to you something about your kids, but you will read about it like crazy. You will spend hours into the night, mobile phone in bed, Saturdays, weekends. And that's the beauty of the open web. Advertisers meet you in the context of you really caring about something. It's your passion graph. So I wouldn't discount, even though we're seeing behavioral dynamics, cookies, IDFAs, things changing around us, the very core basic of I'm reading about something. And maybe that is a good proxy for what I care about. To an advertiser, I wouldn't discount that. So I think this. So is you're a- saying exact targeting on the open web doesn't matter that much. It's all about contextual. It's not all about contextual. I think it's. I think it's a strong signal. Uh, I think companies that can create, um, you know, interesting correlations from people who read about that also like to do that. So you can expand the context, right? Similar to like the Amazon approach. There's a lot of opportunity in using the signal as a foundation. That's all I'm saying. I think first-party cookies are unlikely to ever disappear because that's what makes the web somewhat smart, right? So I think we're, we're, seeing, you know, we're seeing activity, but I, I wouldn't discount the value of the context. I think first-party cookies are here to stay. And I think IDFA is primarily relevant for native apps. We have a question from the audience. In, how large will the opportunity be for contextual targeting in light of cookie and privacy changes? I think that dovetails with what I kind of just brought up. I mean, I think it's, an, it's, a, I think it's a significant opportunity, not, not only as looking at the specific article I'm reading, but creating correlations and lookalikes, not between people, but between pieces of content. So I think that- Give um, us some examples of that. Like, let's put that into, you know, yeah, let's so take that from words into what does it mean? People who read about, fur, you know, furniture really like to buy gaming uh, devices. People who read about, you know, uh, so that's what I'm trying to say. Create this correlation between topics that are um, not driven by people, but driven by what am I reading about? So I might read about furniture, but the ad could be about something else. And that's because we've seen that people that read about that also like to do something else. So I think there's a big opportunity in that. I also, like I said earlier, um, for, for us as an example, the differentiation we're, we have in the marketplace, which I'm excited about, is that Taboola has a recommendation engine first. Half of our clicks have nothing to do with ads. It's about editorial consumption. So you click on Taboola to make decisions as to what you want to read. That gives us an opportunity to also calibrate, again, users' opinion about things and how we can calibrate our advertising product afterwards. So our foundation is being a recommendation engine first uh, versus traditional advertising con- companies that are advertising companies. Let's hit another question there, which is what is, just jumped on me. Um, what is the monetization delta between browser, um, Opera, Firefox, Safari, whatever, Google today to, to help better understand it? 
I don't have it in front of me, but uh, some of it is on our deck, so it's publicly available. You can check it out. But you'll see that the mobile and specific Safari even, but in general, mobile monetization is fairly strong. I think also Taboola's formats um, resemble you know, social networks, which is a feed of recommendations that are natively rendered to you, which people really like. So remember, we don't sh- we're not showing you a banner on a mobile device. We're showing you a feed of recommendations. And if you, if you follow TikTok growth, Instagram's growth, you know, which is in the range of 50 minutes a day of scrolling, that is how Taboola looks like only in the open web, right? So if I was, you know, if, if I was to imagine the open web five to 10 years from now, I think it's gonna look completely like Instagram. We're gonna see a feed of organic recommendations and paid recommendations in different formats. So I think, and that experience is really loved by people. So I, I, um, that's why the gap between Taboola's monetization in mobile versus desktop is actually much smaller than traditional advertising, what we used to see. So first of all, if you have questions, make sure you use the Q&A box and just keep populating them. And we'll keep asking Adam as we go through uh, the hour with him. And just, just so people have context, when Adam's talking about sort of the feed-like experience, the demo that's actually behind me on the screen, it, we just put the Lightshed podcast and we populated it into the Taboola system. They do a, There's a little demonstration tool. And so you can basically see how the end of the article, and then there's a whole bunch of boxes of actual content, in this case, sponsored. We didn't actually sponsor it, but it, you get the idea of like what's actually happening by looking at the images behind us. So there's two questions that people seem confused about. Um, so I want to try to clear this up. And they both sort of relate. So one is, does the consumer decide on the content on the CNBC website based on their browsing history preferences, or does the publisher and CNBC decide? I think I know the answer, but why don't you answer it and just explain how, how this content below is being chosen? Well, the, the publisher, any publisher, we have 9,000 publishers in the world, um, which we're very proud working with. Um, and, and so they have, before they were launched with Tabula, they have an editorial configuration platform it allows them to say on a per page type basis, as an example, on the homepage, we'd like to see a certain behavioral uh, versus on the sports section or on the news section or technology section. Or, so it's very advanced in terms of they control what experience is the experience they would like to have on the site. It can also be by region. In the US, we'd like it to be in a certain way. In other places, in a different way. On mobile devices, we'd like it to be in a certain way. So it's very, very advanced in how they can configure that. Once they do so, when we see a consumer, we're using our technology and data to execute through that editorial configuration to suggest the best recommendations we think might get you to not only click on them, but also engage, read and, and stay, stick around. So it's a combination. And time, so time spent on the resulting site is a critical factor to the recommendation engine. Pages per session. How many pages did you read? Did you sign up to anything? Time. Did you come back? So we measure loyalty and lifetime value of the consumer over time. So we use a lot of um, interesting metrics to validate that we're doing a net, net great job. Is there one that metric that stands out as being the most important in the algorithm? You know, I would say if we had this conversation five years ago, um, from an editorial perspective, probably click-through rates and pages per session was the main thing people looked at. Who is the highest click-through rate? Now, uh, it became, funny enough, less relevant because people publishers have diversified their goal so much to think that they can do so much more with consumers that it's less about the highest click. It's what happens after the click. So as an example, meaning, think, meaning do they subscribe to their, whatever news- their newsletter or whatever it may be? 
right? So if I can get you to sign up to my newsletter, I'd rather you read one article and sign up than read 10 articles right now, because now I can talk to you for the next few months. So, right. so that changed. So I think right now, uh, a lot of what we spend our time on is post-click objective versus just CTR. And then just to, because there's still confusion, so I want to clear it up for everyone. How do you collect data? The question is, I'm a bit confused on how you capture this about the users. So like what, what is the actual process for Taboola understanding, you know, who, who Rich Greenfield is and what they should show me based on, um, you know, your publisher's content? We don't know who you are. Uh, we know your browser has an ID, one, two, three, four, five. When you go to a publisher that works with Taboola and you see our editorial recommendation and sponsor recommendations, we get to have our first party cookie because we rendered this part of the experience. We know you're you as a number browser. So um, that's, that's called first party cookie. That's, that's the data that we have. Uh, we also have anonymized behavioral data that's aggregated. People in New York City on a Friday morning on an iPhone who read about a certain topic tend to click on other things. That data is not you, but it's an aggregate information that helps us to suggest things to you that might surprise you, right? So you want to wake up in the morning and see a recommendation that might be very relevant to you, but not necessarily based on who you are, but based on people that have been in your situation. So, uh, so that's another uh, huge scale. Tabula now serves 1 trillion recommendations a month and people click tens of billions of times a year. So all of those recommendations create this anonymized aggregated data about people who do certain things, what do they tend to do? Um, and again, this is this Amazon people who bought this also bought. So I would say we have, we don't know, we never know who you are. Um, we know you're the same number if, unless you delete your first party cookie. We know you're the same browser and we know what people in your situation click on and read this aggregated data that I'm, that I'm talking about. Let's go to another question from the audience. Um, kind of a, 10,000 foot, what do you think over the next five years? How, how will the native advertising ecosystem evolve over what's called a five-year period? I mean, I, I'm very optimistic across, like I said, three areas for us as, um, as I look into the future. Also from, you know, from our investors deck. One is that I think uh, in general, as I imagine the future of the open web, I think it will evolve into more of an in-stream feed-like, organic, plus ads experience versus a page with different ads, different formats, different goals. I think this will converge and look like this that will never end. How crazy is that a web page has a beginning and an end versus Instagram that never, so long that I want to engage, it never ends. Mm -hmm. Right, so so we're still living in the past. So that is to me the biggest native opportunity is to consolidate. That happens sooner because it seems like again I'm just thinking like New York Post. It's just so noisy. There's ads all over the place. Like, why is that not there now? Because if if you see perhaps TikTok is the best version of this, where people just keep scrolling forever for you know whatever an hour fifty minutes. And um, so why does it take so long? I mean, it seems like the internet moves pretty quickly. Why why does that take five years for that to evolve? I do think we're seeing good progress. I mean, I think we're seeing a lot of a lot of change, um, and nothing is overnight. We're talking about still $64 billion of spend that goes through banners and video ads and text ads and pop-ups and I mean so many different formats that were invented 20 years ago. So I think we're gonna see it's, it's gonna take some time, but 
I think that we know how the future might look like because we see it today next to us in other platforms. So I'm, again, so with regards to native advertising, uh, which includes video formats, um, you know, thumbnails and text, e-commerce formats, I, I'm very optimistic that we'll continue to see that growing. Um, I spoke specifically about Tabula expanding to recommend anything. We should be helping games to be discovered as on our network, applications in general, e-commerce, which I'm very excited about, and TV. Which You've I'm, never done it. Have you ever done app installs off the platform? We're, we're, we're explored with many different things, but it's, we have not, you know, the truth is that it's not significant for us to model anything, right? So, but I just think it's a space we want to be in. So we, um, so we, you know, all of those things I put under to be like spending to recommend anything, which will make, by the way, the open web more interesting because sometimes you'll show me an app, sometimes you'll show me a game, sometimes you'll show me a video. So it should be diversified. And then the second thing is like we started uh, the conversation is um, recommending news and open web outside of a browser. And I think we're going to see a lot of that. Uh, we're seeing Amazon with, you know, Echo. We're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing Spotify integrations in cars. We're seeing Apple News. I think services is the new West Village. And uh, we're going to see services, you know, flourish all around us outside of the browser. So our kids, I think, will consume the open web in many different places. But my hope, by the way, is that they will see it not in a walled garden way. That's my, that's my flag, right? So that's our mission is that when they interact with the open web, it's true open web experience, not locked in a wall garden that is preventing the publisher to interact with you directly. There's a question in the Q&A from um, Alan on the power of logged in users. I'm just going to read it out to you. It's, he says, because we are losing IDFA slash cookies, it seems like logged in users will become crucial for publishers. How will publishers decide whether to require logged in users with better first party data slash monetization versus the friction that they create requiring a login? And do you think that single sign-on systems will work here? In parentheses, i.e. Trade Desk and Unified ID. First of all, I, I hope they do. So I think what the Trade Desk and others are working on are fantastic initiatives. I, I root any company in the world that is trying to do something good for publishers they're my friend. So I root for anyone that's doing anything that can help the publishers and the open web stay stronger and grow. So, uh, and that of course includes the trade desk and other great companies that are out there. Um, I do think it's a significant change in behavior. And um, I wonder what would it take? So I don't think that, that IDFA and cookies will make consumers want to log in because my mom does not know what IDFA is and she doesn't care about cookies, right? She wants the internet to be great. So she expect all of us to discuss. So, so, so when Facebook puts up a little prompt that says, do you want your ad experience to be good or shitty? Do you think your mom clicks? And I hate to put your mom on the spot uh, without her being here. But do you think she clicks good ads or bad ads? Great ads. She, my, I, think, I think that Facebook can, they, they can get users to say yes to 10 out of 10 questions. Right? Like, I mean, I, I think consumers vote experience most of the time a lot more. I mean, Think of the, the behavioral of the younger generations. They post pictures of them being on vacation, knowing everyone knows they're not home now. Their home is empty. So, I mean, people, people sacrifice, you know, those decisions in exchange for value. And they believe it's valuable to get better feeds. So I, I don't think that's the risk. I think the risk is um, how can you evolve user behavior? How can you get me to want to sign in 
to all publishers on the open web. Like I sign in, by the way, to the New York Times, right? Which I do. So uh, I think that's the, that's the fundamental question. I don't have the answer to that, you know, but I, but I root for those who are working on that and I hope to be part of that in any one way. But, um, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a bigger question than IDFA and privacy because users do not understand privacy and, and IDFA. They expect it to be okay. So the next question we have, um, and this is something, this is a question that it, it's from Anonymous, but um, it's a question that you and I have talked about literally since you first started the company. Uh, I think, honestly, it, it just comes up time and time again, despite you doing deals with companies like NBC and Microsoft. So I'm just going to read it because uh, I think you'll smile. How are you planning on bringing on more Fortune 500 brands that are concerned about some of the more unsavory content? Not saying this is good or bad, but can't ignore this fact that runs through the Taboola network. Yeah, I think so. I'll take a step back about my philosophy of content and then I'll lean in into that question. One, our approach is, um, and fundamentally, I believe all platforms should have a similar approach, big and small, is that there should be, first of all, a policy a company makes and make public as to what they do not think should be recommended at all. Fake news, hate content, I don't know, tobacco, whatever, whatever you think. You, you don't want people to be converted into. And then, you know, I think it should be consistent in how you moderate those pieces of content. And again, it has nothing to do with quality. It has everything to do with safeguards of what you believe is the right thing to do. So for us, we have this policy. We have 50 people. It grew to 70 people. And those, te- those teams, um, those, that team is working very, very hard, reviewing about half a million pages a week to review pages that do not meet our policy. Um, and that, again, has nothing to do with quality. It has everything to do with doing the right thing to keep the internet safe uh, for all of us. What's, everything that's above the line now falls into how categorizing different verticals and content. As an example, 10 reasons why Kim Kardashian loves her husband is fine. You might not like it. Maybe it's not relevant for certain publishers, but it's perfectly fine piece of content. In fact, some publishers prefer that you recommend that versus something else. Um, and so the way I believe to answer the question is to make sure that there's a match make, made between publishers and advertisers. So they want to be with each other. I think brands would and, have to be. But, 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 but hold on. But the key is, if I'm hearing you right, is that at the end of the day, the publisher has all the tools. If they choose not to use the tools and to have whatever content ends up running on their site, that's on the publisher. That's not a to, that's a not using the tools that Taboola is enabling them to use. Yeah, I you can like, find. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't tend to throw my publishers under any one bus. Uh, but but I don't think it's anyone's fault, and we take full responsibility in making sure that even before the publisher does anything, it should be good. You know. So in terms of the vertical of the site and and so forth. So I. It's and, about- and what's retention of customers look like? I mean, you know, when you look at your cohorts over the years, how, like what does retention of your major customers look like? Maybe I mean, that's another way of thinking about this answer. We're speaking about, I mean, on the, on the presentation, you can see 120% uh, net dollar retention on the publisher side, which is, which is fantastic from our perspective. We have long-term uh, agreements with what, who we believe are the best publishers on the planet. So we, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And I think we're, we love publishers and we see the love back because of the amount of, of energy we put into making them successful. Again, this is not to say nobody's making mistakes and we're keeping, we keep evolving our product to give brands and, you know, Fortune 500 brands more of what they want, as an example, more video, more visible placements, more homepage placements. So we're, we're listening to the market and we're evolving. 
Well, let's go switch to a, well, not switch, but just talk about e-commerce. Another uh, question in the hopper from our great audience. Um, how will your tech be leveraged in e-commerce and can maybe provide a tangible example of how you could monetize it? Yeah. So we're thinking about two things. Uh, again, this is in the future. It, it's again from our presentation deck, so it's not relevant now, but there are two ways to think about e-commerce. One is to bring e-commerce advertisers on our existing publishers. So that if I'm reading about uh, Samsung versus iPhone, that might be a great e-com, um, uh, e-commerce opportunity. Because and, and why hasn't that happened? It seems so natural looking at Facebook and Pinterest and the explosion. What is, I mean, what's the rationale for why that hasn't happened already other than you've had explosive growth regardless? We just didn't do it. We, we, we just didn't get to it. Uh, it's, it's a huge category, by the way, that requires a lot of technology. So to be able to index millions of SKUs of a retailer, you need a lot of tech and a lot of data and a lot of effort. This is not uh, this is not something you just do. You have to be really good at it. And we're going to look at, at doing it ourselves or inorganically, you know, over time. But but so that's one area of bringing all you know, e-commerce advertisers to the open web. In that moment when I spoke about the signal of the context, which I think is a very interesting signal. The second thing that you can look into is e-commerce websites. So this is any website that's not Amazon that does not have Amazon's AI to recommend their own products and to create a promotional, you know, uh, promoted vehicle for their products. So that's on the other side of it. So I'm very, very bullish on e-commerce in the future on both sides. Uh, again, so what's the not- example of that second version? The first version is kind of obvious. To, you go to Target and you, you're looking at a product and it says other products you may like. And then you're clicking on one of them and you might buy something. Um, I think you gave a stat to me once in a meeting. This is maybe a couple of years ago, but you had an incredible statistic of how much of Amazon content came from sponsored recommendations on the site. Yeah, it was it, when we met, it was an article. I can't remember who wrote that, but they. Um, it, it was a shockingly high number. And, and it's incredible. It just showed that good ads are good, are good everything. So it was, a, I can't remember who wrote this article, Rich, but it was this a screenshot of the homepage of Amazon. It was like over 50% of it was, recommendations that are paid and promoted within Amazon. Uh, I got it. 50% of Amazon purchases come from promoted content on the site. Great. So I think this goes to show that. What does that mean promoted? That means like if you're on the homepage and it's promoted or or you did your search for bird food and whatever the promoted bird food is, is goes to the, I'm just thinking about that brand because I just bought some bird food on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) That was a random like, I don't like that one. I was like, where's this going? All right, let's switch (laughs) gear. It can be anywhere. Uh, It can be also. I got these birds in my window right now. They're driving me fucking nuts. All right. um, It's it's very nice of you to take care of the wild birds. So I mean, it's snowy out. They can't get their little seeds on the ground. So somebody's (laughs) going to help them. There's a lot of snow here and I'm from Israel. Okay. Alt this has is a totally. Heart. This is totally falling apart. Sorry for the diversion. Well, Alpha, can, you, apart. can you can you can you tell us what um what happened with with the outbrain um and how that merger got derailed and what have you? Yeah. So we um you know we we really were excited about doing that back in 2019. We announced um you know the merger, and you know I think overall this process was a good process for both of us. We met good people. Um, it was reviewed by the DOJ and other regula- regulatory uh, entities uh, in Israel and the UK. It was approved by the DOJ, but I, but you know through that time we uh, a pandemic has happened. It affected you know everyone. By the time um, the contract ended, it was um, too different for us to continue and carry on the same way, and we we chose to part ways. I you know we stayed friends. Um, you know I think we met good people. I'm not. 
um, disappointed we tried and, um, and I think we moved on to other exciting things. What, what specifically changed during the pandemic though? The performance. Okay. So you performed better than they did. Is that without getting into uh, whose Schwartz is bigger, you know, the performance far far apart enough to not warrant the same deal. And, um, and I wrote about it on our blog. So this is public information, but um, it just wasn't the same, you know, a year after it was different enough. And, um, you know, if, if anything, like I said, you know, we, we learned uh, about how the, the, on the other side has good people um, that care the same about open web and journalism. It just wasn't the right thing anymore for our investors. I think during the pandemic, you also, you relaxed some of your guarantees and moved to more of a rev share model. Can you, can you explain um, what and why and if you expect that to continue going forward? So when the pandemic happened, uh, we woke up this one day and our yields went down 17 and a half percent. I thought it's the end of the world and I couldn't believe it. You know, I went to sleep and I woke up and everything was down. And I, I believe many of us have experienced similar decrease. And uh, we did a bunch of things. Um, you know, we looked inside into how we can be a better company. We immediately started weekly all hands with 1500 employees with similar situations, you know, Q&A to what we're doing right now that I've done for about nine months, you know? And so we, we did so many things to get Tabula to be more ready for this new world that we're in. As part of that, I called and we called some of our uh, partners that were on guarantees, which is not the majority of our business, but it was still important for us to do so. And we asked them if they would agree to move to 100% revenue share until basically yields come back. Um, and I can tell you if, if there's one reason why I come to work, if you can call Tabula work, because it's really, uh, who I am, is that I can tell you many times when I called those CEOs of big publisher companies, the first, and I told them, look, would you agree to do that until we both figure things out? The first question was, how are you and how is your family? And the second thing was, let's do it. And this, and you know, we signed a letter that says we're, we're on the same page. It, it actually took us fairly quickly to go back to, um, to guarantees way faster than, you know, way faster than I anticipated because I didn't know what the pandemic is going to look like. It's my first pandemic. And then um, at the end of last year, I had a board meeting when I, to- I called my chairman and I told them, and by the way, we extend our agreements for, for those publishers, but I called my chairman and I said, you know, what if we, well, nobody expects us to do it, but what if we call every publisher that said yes? And they, di- they didn't have to do it either, by the way, but they did. And we, we pay them the amount of what we would have paid them had a pandemic never happened. It was Christmas. And he said, uh, well, you know, why would you do that? And I said, because it, because it would be amazing to do it. And I told him, and we'll ask for nothing in return. And it's like a Jewish tzedakah, you know, you're doing something good without anybody knowing about it. And, uh, and, I, and he said, let's do it. And we had a board meeting and we approved it within an hour. And we did it and we called them and we, we paid it back. And uh, I'm so happy we did it. You know, because it just, um, to me, uh, one, one more step towards, I want to do it forever. You know, so that's, that's a pandemic. That's how we weather the storm with the open web. And um, looking back, I think we'll all remember how we treated each other. You know, they're obviously with the merger falling apart and now you choosing to go the SPAC route. I guess the natural question is, why does a publisher, how does a publisher choose? Like, obviously not everyone uses Taboola. 
what are the other choices, you know, even beyond Outbrain? Like, are there lots of choices that still exist or is it really a choice of one or two? Um, you know, I think Zergnet has more moved into more of a content strategy and away from sort of a recommendation on other people's sites. But I, I'd just be curious, like, how competitive is this still? It's super competitive. Um, you know, the category is really native display. So it's any company that can render a native ad either in a display, IAB container, or just on the page. And here you have in some of the you know, most successful companies in the world, such as Google and others, significantly operating in. And um, so it's, it's very competitive. And in the end, um, I think you know, anyone that's in the business of providing value to publishers is in my space, right? So, so you know, I think- well, like why, Maybe as an example of that, like when we see Google and Apple News, why at the bottom of that article on CNBC, why is there not a Google news feed or an Apple news feed? Why do they choose Taboola over? I mean, I don't know whether Google would just put that news feed at the bottom, but like, how do they choose you? Is it the fact that you'll recycle traffic to them versus yeah. Google who just wants to go to third parties? Like, what is the reason why they don't just stick a Google news box or an Apple news box at the bottom? The three reasons why we, we, um, we get to work with publishers and we, we get chosen by publishers. The first one is that from an engagement and revenue perspective, I think we're the best. So our AI and access to advertisers is able to generate the highest engagement to their editorial content and the highest revenue. Um, so that's one. The second thing is that I believe we're the, you know, one of the most um, heavily invested company in the world in developing platform at no cost for publishers. So editorial platforms, data and insights, recirculation, subscription services. I believe we're very special in that world. So as a publisher, thinking about the next few years of your company beyond CPNs, I think you're looking for a partner, not a vendor. So that's the second one. And we're very unique in that. And the third one, even though we're a technology company, and I, I, I don't know if you agree or not, but I really believe in that people do business with people. And Tabula, you know, with our management team, my management team has been together for almost a decade. You know, we're, you, you know, we're the same people doing the same things, the mistakes and the good things. And we, we, we do QBRs and we execute like ninjas, you know? So I think also at the end, people trust us that we'll be there for them. How does Verizon fit in competitively? They're in the space. I think they're, they're a very good, strong company because they're part of Verizon, because they have great executives like Google. Now. Now, yeah. <laughs> For now, uh, and and so I think they they have you know they have great home to operate within great executives and a lot of vision. So I think it's great to see them in the in the space. One of the questions that just came in, and we're running out of time, but um, I want to get your views on it. Says, what is your views on how privacy changes will impact third party identity graphs? Do these become less valuable over time, and do you use them to identify users? I think. Um, you know, we spoke earlier about Google evolving third-party cookies in, in Chrome. Google is a big company with a big footprint and what they decide to do together with the community, because I do think they, we see them collaborate and how they evolve third-party cookie, my hope, into HTML5 type of, of a cookie, right? Not to get, get it to go away, but to change. We'll, we'll answer that question uh, in a bigger way. So I, I do think, I don't know what's the future, future of third-party cookies. I think they will be evolved. Um, and into some sort of safe, private, valuable identity. And we, then just new, oh, go ahead, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, I, you launched Taboola News last, I believe last year, maybe now 18 months ago. Yeah. Um, 
And if I remember correctly, basically what Taboola News was doing was you had cell phone manufacturers that instead of putting up Google News or Apple News, they were using Taboola News, uh, a very similar product using all of your AI and all of your knowledge of consumers. Maybe just give people a sense of like, how big of a business is that now? How has it grown? Is that a core part of your product offering? And then I want to end with just Taboola Stories and just tell people sort of what Taboola Stories is. So just to get yeah. everyone all the, all the product pieces that you're working on. Taboola News is something we started about uh, two years ago or so which is basically taking all of our publishers uh, that we work with in the open web and creating a feed that we can integrate onto devices, anyone, but basically anyone on an Android that might want a feed of content. Um, it's, a small, it's a still relatively small portion of our revenue, but growing. Um, and I'm very excited about it. I'm, I'm ready to continue to spend energy on it. I think um, it's important because as opposed to traditional platforms, when you click on a Taboola news feed, we will forever send people to the open web as part of our mission to power recommendations in the open web and support the open web. So I think it's important to be- So unlike where, where, unlike Walt, where Apple News drives to Apple News, this is truly driving to the open, browser. The open web. Yeah. I want you to get to know, you know a local site. I want so you publishers to love it. Yeah, it's, it's traffic to their site. It's what search used to be 20 years ago. You know, Remember when search just started and traffic started to arrive. You know, so to the open web. So I think I think publishers like it, um, and it's still small. But if it, if it becomes big, I think the impact to the open web can be significant. So let's get your sixty seconds. We got sixty seconds left. Give us the pitch on Taboola Stories. Taboola Stories. Oh, <laughs> Taboola Stories. Yeah. So we we launched uh, essentially as you may have seen Twitter launch fleet, and you know we have Snap, and um, so we we launched our own version. It's still in in, in early testing, but uh, publishers really like it. And it's essentially, we're working at the top of the page, mainly in mobile devices, because that's what people expect it. This is on a publisher's page. On a publisher's page. So give yeah. us an example in the beta. Give us an example of someone who's using this and what it would look like. Yeah, I don't know if I, I'm allowed to say the name, but okay. a publisher using it, uh, they'll 100% of the time is read an article. You'll have stories at the top, Tabula Stories, uh, great name. And you'll have stories at the top. If you click on it, it will become a vertical format. Of, of an article that you might want to read. So it could be a, a nice thumbnail and maybe the title, and then you can basically swipe right. Very similar experience to stories on, on Instagram. <clears throat> and, um, and the purpose is to try to create new type of you know, attention economy that is verticalized on, in the open web, much like um, we launched Tabula Feed a few years ago. Now we're, we're evolving. And again, we're learning from the platform. So I think there's, this is a great product that works in other places. Why shouldn't that be in the open web? Adam, you've been really generous with your time. So I really appreciate you making time for us. We love chatting with you about the world of online advertising, which I think is often always changing and often very confusing. So it's great to just sort of get some someone to help us understand all the moving pieces and um, good luck with, uh, with the Q2 SPAC launch. Thank you for having me. Uh, big fan. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for the question. Go play with the toys. Yes. <laughs>